So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. The ants go marching one by one. Hurrah. Hurrah. Megan has a brand new bum. Hurrah. Hurrah. I think you need new material. The ants go marching one by one. Megan has an impenetrable bum. (laughs) And they all go marching down to the ground to get out of the rain. Is this what you do while I'm at work all day? Boom, 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 boom. I'll take that as a yes. Yes, indeed, my love. Yes, indeed. Well, good evening, honey. How are you tonight? Good evening, my love. I am fantastic. I have a receding hairline. There's crisp air in the air. We spent a lot of time with your dad this past week, and I, you know, spent most of it looking at his bald head to see what that's going to look like in my future. I don't know if that's creepy or if that's just like (laughs) smart investigation on your part. I mean, either way. I'm sticking around. Again, watered down jeans. You get what you get, girl. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Growing old with you. I'm Megan and I'm an alcoholic. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. It's episode 21. So I married an alcoholic. Oh, there you go. 21st episode. We're hitting a lot of milestones recently. If the show wasn't an alcoholic, it could totally have a beer right now. So true. Why don't you tell us about your 21st birthday, honey? I think we'll spare that indignity. (laughs) Why don't you tell us about yours? You seem to have more cheery stories. Mine will inevitably involve a stripper, uh, copious amounts of drugs and alcohol, uh, and that's all I remember. You know what? So my 21st birthday, the actual 21st, I I think was kind of like non-monumental, but my uh, mom threw me a 21st birthday party actually a couple weeks early, and we did Kentucky Derby theme. Ooh. Like hats and mint juleps. It was really fun. It's very interesting. Yeah. I could still wear the hat, but that's about where that ends at this this stage in the game. I wonder if Mimi had any idea that 14 years later she'd be dropping you off at rehab. I don't think so. No, I don't think that was in her uh, life plan. She was just concerned about the big hats at that point. Yeah, it was a lovely party. Like oh. a garden party. We I'm sure it was. Race. Yeah. Mimi can throw a jam. Yeah, she can. She's a good party planner. So we just got back from North Carolina. We did. The great state of North Carolina. Unfortunately, I mean, I've been, but unfortunately for you, you missed the state fair. I know. I'm so pissed. Which is, you know, you've been to one state fair. You've literally been to them all, right? Yeah, we got to plan better next year. However... The North Carolina State Fair is like State Fair on crack. Is it? Oh, my God. I'm it so is. mad. And your dad and Jude went the next day. They did. It opened as we were departing. Which is rather unfortunate. You know what else was unfortunate? What? We broke Dick's stupid fucking Mustang. I know. We sat and joked about it on episode 20. And remember how we couldn't open the trunk? Well, we figured it out. Sure did. Chris was getting the baby out of the car, and unbeknownst to me, he put his pack of cigarettes and lighter on top of said car. So it has, it's one of those new electronic Mustang things, like complete tool bag 
car, right? Anyways, that's besides the point. <laughs> it's just not your thing. It's it's not my thing. Okay. I, I do bird dogs and country clubs and, you know, sport coats with leather elbow patches. That's my thing. Some people may say that's complete tool bag. Yeah, well, they're douchebags. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so anyways, it's got a, one of those panoramic roofs. So the roof is just one big piece of glass. Yes. Which is actually kind of cool when you're riding in it. Very. It is not cool when you're trying to take a 17 month out of the coal, uh, out of the car, mm-hmm. and you leave your Newports and lighter on said glass roof. Yes. So somebody went into the trunk. It was me. I was so proud. I knew how to open it. I was getting the baby bag out. We were all ready to go have an enjoyable lunch, and I open the trunk and I hear a noise. I think did an acorn fall from a tree? Perhaps. But that's not what happened. Nope. An acorn may have fallen from a tree. (laughs) It may have landed on somebody's car that had a more durable roof. (laughs) But that is unfortunately not part of this particular story. Instead. We cracked the glass. Look, I can't even believe it happened still to this day. And I am... My dad, so again, 40 years old, Dick's, uh, what is 65, 66, somewhere around there. He's the kind of guy that I still, to this day, am afraid he's going to turn around and beat the shit out of me at any given point during the day. Doesn't matter, you know, good things happening, bad things happening. (laughs) Uh, My name was stupid until I was the age of like 17 or 18. Which is really when it should have become stupid. And then it was fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I feel like I'm sort of giving my father a bad name, but just to throw a little background on there, he was old school Italian guy. Like he took no shit, ran a successful business for years. He, Dick has a huge heart. And again, still to this day, scares the shit out of me. Oh, that's so funny. And I look at him like a teddy bear. Well, he's, he's definitely a bitch now. Okay. He's, he's mellowed out a bit in his old age. Sure. But I think with the addition of Frankie. Yes, Frankie will make anyone's heart melt, except maybe like Jeffrey Dahmer. (laughs) (laughs) We should try that, like experiment. (laughs) Bring the child to Jeffrey Dahmer? You're a sick woman. (laughs) Like to prisons, you know, prison reform. Yeah, no. What's wrong with you? I'm just joking. Not a good one, obviously. Again, she has obviously two parents that are alcoholics and addicts. I come from a severely watered down gene pool. The odds that she's going to end up in a prison on her own accord are quite high. <laughs> so we shouldn't. Yeah, like why? Early. Why yeah. introduce her to the system early? I get it. I get it. It's unnecessary. It's like how I feel about her drinking juice. She doesn't know it exists. Why yeah, but, tell her? But I do. Same what, with prison. What if I want juice? You can have it. All right. Anyway, complete the story. So I heard the crack. <laughs> of the, the crack glass. heard round the world. Le- seriously, and I was like, "Fuck." My heart literally skipped a beat because I knew something nasty was coming down the pipe. And I'm thinking, this is impossible that something happened to the roof of this car, right? Not impossible. No, definitely not indestructible, bulletproof, or any of that sort of glass. Yes. I mean, I'm talking chunk out and crack. And then we went into lunch. And had a lovely lunch. We did. Dick didn't say two words. No. He just sat there in his shit, which is totally where I get it from. 
And I had some like inappropriate laughter because I don't even know what to do in situations like that. Yeah, no, you and Jude were over there like chuckling on the sidelines. <laughs> like nothing happened, nothing to see here. Because again, neither of you were going to get punched in the face. Oh my God. Honestly, I felt terrible. All Frankie cared about was French fries per usual. So we broke the car. We did, and it was so karma because we were making fun of it on the last episode. Yeah, we totally did like this 10-minute, you know, bit on how much of a bitch car it is. And and then that car was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and snapped right in half. That was old Henry Ford from the grave, like, I'll show you, motherfucker. So we get back to Pennsylvania. We're chilling. Dickie sends me a text message. And I, you know, look at my phone. It says, Dad. I'm thoroughly expecting an invoice for like $6,500 for a new roof. because you looked it up. I did. I was like, shit. <laughs> we have to sell the bird. Someone mentioned something about a windshield costing like $800 to replace, and I'm thinking in my mind, okay, that sucks, but that's doable. And then Chris goes, I mean, in case anyone's wondering, though, the roof's 6800 I just looked it up, and I'm like, not doable i'm thinking in my mind cue more inappropriate laughter because you know me i'm pouring gasoline on the fire regardless of the situation (laughs) i'm like oh we're at a level you know 98 out of 100 for shittiness let's push the envelope and get it to a 99 oh my god here i sit laughing again and there's nothing funny about what happened no no the the situation in an in and of itself was terrible. However, so I look at my phone. I'm like, all right, so here's the invoice. Megan, prepare yourself. He's like, what are you doing tomorrow morning? I'm like, uh, going to take the bird out to the field to exercise. And he's like, oh, cool. I'm flying into Philly. I'm going to pick up a car. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not paying for the car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy you lunch while you're here. He's like, oh, I was just going to Uber it. But like, if you're not busy with, you know, real estate or whatever. And I was like, no, Saturday mornings, I, you know, am blocked off for the bird. The rest of Saturday and all of Sunday, I'm blocked off from the family. As, <laughs> as we've discussed in previous episodes. As the calendar states. So I was like, I've, I'm happy to come pick you up. So I go, I pick him up at the airport. Uh, we drive over to the Dirty Jers. For those of you that are not familiar, that's the horrific state of New Jersey. Mm, the armpit of the world. Good for nothing except for Jim and Valia's bed and breakfast. Which is lovely. Down at the shore. And then northern Jersey is nothing but parking lots and landfills. And uh, what's the name of the the titty bar from The Sopranos? Oh, I don't know. Rick took me there when when he was living in Jersey many oh, years ago. I don't know ago. if I realized it was a real place. It is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's in. Oh God, I want to say like by Elizabeth or you know oh. that area. I don't know exactly where Bayonne. it is. Perhaps. Yeah. Sounds shitty. Yeah. I feel like that's the appropriate spot for a <laughs> Sopranos esque strip club. Oh, we're going to have to Google that later. So anyways, we go over, and what does Dick buy now since we broke his little Barbie Mustang? One of those stupid Teslas. Again, Diamond Dicky does nothing averagely, so he bought, it's called a Tesla plaid, like the nice sport coats that I like to wear. Plaid. (laughs) It's the fastest production car on the planet. That's insane. We took Mac for a ride in it, so Meg's son, my stepson, he literally shit himself all over Dickie's new seats. Except that's an option. It makes farting noises. It does make farting noises. And you can actually hit a button, and it makes farting noises when you turn on the blinkers. Oh, that's awesome. Or if you're from Massachusetts, blinka. (laughs) 
B L I N K A, Blinka. I like it. Use your Blinka. So then Dickie and I went and had lunch in the city. We're at the dealership for 12 minutes, and Megan's, What are you doing? When are you going to be home? Who are you with? What's going on? He's so full of shit. What's the weather like? Are you buying a car? <laughs> That's probably what I was really afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> Did this one come with the indestructible roof option? Daddy and I got matching Teslas. <laughs> <laughs> so we had lunch at uh, Park down in Rittenhouse Square, which is absolutely lovely. We ate all of the raw things, oysters, steak tartare, tuna, salmon. I was super jealous because Park is like one of my favorite restaurants of all times. So Megan and I actually went on our second date. We did. To Park and we ordered coffee. And it comes with a complimentary bread basket. Because that's all we could afford. <laughs> we were super, super poor. Now we we're were. just regular poor. Yeah. Back then we were super poor. Actually, I was watching Dave Chappelle earlier today and he said something about, obviously he's a comedian. For those of you who don't know Dave Chappelle, make sure you watch some of his stuff. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. The man's a genius. But anyways, he was talking about a joke. When he was growing up, his father you know, never turned the heat on because they were also poor. And he said that to his dad, like, it sucks being poor. And his father was like, no, no, being poor is a state of mind. Mm. You're broke, son. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just broke. Oh, perfect. We're not poor. No, we're very happy. And then Dick came over afterwards and hung out with Frankie for a little while. Yeah, it was great. And we had a nice night. And it was obviously, it's good to, you know, see family anytime there in town. But it was cool because, like, we broke his car two days earlier. <laughs> and then he just came and replaced the car. And he wasn't even really pissed. No. I think he moved on. That was good. And I like that you guys got to spend the day together, just the two of you. No, it was absolutely awesome. It was a gorgeous day down in Philly. It was 85 degrees out, a little bit of breeze. I mean, what's not to like? No, it's awesome. I'm so happy for you, hon. I'm happy for you, darling. For what? Because you found me. Me too. And Chris brought me home flowers. I did bring her home flowers. And the bird ate them. You Just know. some of them. You can't win all the time. No, it was really sweet. Can I tell you, though, that's the first time Chris has actually ever given me flowers. Really? Yes. No way. Swear to God, you've never given me a flower before, ever. I feel like that's not true. It's 100% true, actually. In fact, I think I've brought it up in arguments before. Probably, because you're like super petty about shit like that. Because Chris knows how, he knows where flowers come from. My first husband brought me flowers all the time. He sends flowers to other people. He's just never brought me flowers before. Not I, even from the grocery store. I do, actually. So the first year that my partner and I were together, and I mean my business partner, not like, you know, my partner. Anti-KP. Yeah, we go like, you know on windy walks holding hands <laughs> not that kind of partner anyways uh, i had a, a great year that year uh real estate wise so i sent her what i called the holy shit bouquet mm -hmm. which was like three hundred dollars mm -hmm. <laughs> this isn't a megan mm -hmm. <laughs> and megan was like oh that's super nice and then was like super petty for like weeks after that and finally it came to a head yeah because I think like Valentine's Day then happened. Yeah, I brought you home the poo that year. Yeah, exactly. I don't I don't actually like animals. 
He's like, I look, I brought you a cat. And I was like, for who? <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. What? For you, my love. Ugh. Who wants flowers? I gave you the poo, which is like, kind of like herpes of the animal world. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Although we all agree tonight that the poo is our favorite thing that lives in this house. Honestly, it is. Lowest maintenance. Yeah. Give zero fucks. Comes to you when it wants a pet. When it doesn't want a pet, you will know. Yeah. Zero drama. It shits in its own little box. Not well, though. It misses a lot. But besides that... Well, in the Pooh's defense, he's like a 60-pound cat. <laughs> he can't fit in the box. <laughs> he can't even fit in the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> we need, like, a litter box that's for, like, multiple cats, but really it's just our one obese one. It's just for our fat shit cat. <laughs> it's terrible. Poor Pooh. So we got to spend a little time... A little extra time with Dickie, which was great. It was. I know. We hadn't seen them since, what, the baby's first birthday? And then here it was. It was like a week, and then 24 hours later, he was back. He couldn't get enough of us. Nah, he just wanted a car with an intact roof. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> He's like, we're going to your place this time after the whole bird <laughs> carpet incident. I mean. Oh, shit. That's, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. Our visit cost them 10 Gs. At least. Oh, my God. God. But they got to see Frankie, so that's that's all that matters, right? Worth every penny. So uh, very early on in the podcast, we were talking about how your derelict husband has read two books in his entire life. One of them was one of Howard Stern's books. Yes. And then the other book was Dope Sick by Beth Macy. Yes. So for those of you that are not familiar with the book, and I, I would highly recommend this read to everybody even if you're not, although I think the odds of somebody not being, you know, close to a quote unquote addict these days sure. are way less than they used to be, right? Yeah, I think almost everyone's affected in one way or another. Absolutely. But it chronicles the story of how Purdue Pharma invented Oxycontin, which was supposed to be this new miracle drug and it was a 1% chance of addiction. It was super safe. It was going to rid the world of pain, et cetera, et cetera. Really, the only thing that it did was addict millions of Americans. And you know what part I didn't even know? Because now we're watching the series. There's a mini series on it, which I'm sure is where Chris is going next. And I apologize for jumping on that. Thanks, darling. But the part that I didn't even realize, did they developed it not to help America's pain, but because their patent was running out on MS cotton and therefore it could go generic. Yes, absolutely. And for those of you that don't know, here's a quick little background on pharmaceuticals. From the time that, you know, some like geeky tool like Brother Joe develops it in a laboratory to the time that the first consumer puts it down the hat mm -hmm. is easily six to seven years. Yes. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. Goes into research and development and then, you know, all the approval processes and the, the random trials, et cetera, et cetera. And then a drug patent, I believe, is seven years. And then after that, it can go generic. Correct. Yes. And then the let's say the pill costs, you know, $10 if it's non-generic. Once it goes generic, it goes down to a fraction of that, maybe one, maybe two dollars. Exactly. So obviously they had a lot of skin in the game. You know, if they're selling millions and millions of whatever tablet every year and it goes generic, that's a huge loss of revenue. Mm -hmm. 
And before any of you jump on my back saying that I am part of the, you know, pro Purdue crowd, you are officially corrected. Dead wrong. Fuck them. Uh, watching it. Fuck them twice. If you're not a reader, then, you know, I suggest reading it and watching the series because it really pulls it all together. The manipulation was unbelievable. No, it was. The, the whole thing was just. Calculate it. Ooh, the studio just queefed. Mm hmm. No, the whole thing was calculated, and it was almost sick. You know, again, I've read the book. We've watched the first couple of episodes of The Dope Sick. I believe it's on Hulu, correct? Yes. It's sick that, you know, the executives of Purdue, which is literally one family, the Sackler yes. family. So they controlled all of the strings in, in that company, if you will. Mm -hmm. They really thought that they were doing this great service. By inventing this new pill. Right. Opiates for moderate pain. And then they changed their marketing, the way they marketed it, changed the way that medicine treated pain. Which So as a, you know, nurse practitioner, a medical provider like you are, you coincidentally, right about the time that Oxycontin hit the market, you were still in nursing school. Yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit about you know, how pain was treated and how there was this massive shift from fear of overprescribing to, you know, let's control pain at all costs, even if it means clinically overprescribing. Right. So when I got, by the time I got to nursing school, Oxycontin was on the market and the now it was pain is the fifth vital sign. Pain is what your patient says it is. And, you know, there was actually these like letters to providers going out saying like for so long the medical community has done the world a disservice by under treating people's pain because we were afraid as practitioners for them to become addicted. Do no harm. And so we thought we were doing no harm by trying to prevent addiction. But instead, we've kept all of America in pain pretty much. And this was not, I'm just going to interrupt you one second. This was not a organized effort by Big Pharma. You know, this wasn't several of the largest hospitals and institutions in the nation and some of the regulatory authorities. This was one company, Purdue Pharma, one family, the Sackler family, that literally pushed out all of this information knowing it meant selling X amount of tablets of Oxycontin per year. Right. Well, what's crazy is though- so, so it had nothing to do with the patient. No. They started it, but then medicine bought into it. Um, then it was these p authorities on pain, these people that, you know, that was their expertise that adopted then that mindset. And then even now where it's changed in the past, it's within five years now that we have like the uh, registry, the DEA, that every time I prescribe a narcotic, I need to go and look and see, pull up a registry to see how many narcotics this particular patient has gotten. We now have to do, ready, two hours of continuing education every two years on opiates. That's it. And I have a DEA, a prescribing license where I prescribe narcotics. But still, even though we've we've moved to that where there's some more regulation, Medicare reimbursement is still based on there's, you know, some reimbursement is based on uh, patient surveys. One of the big 
questions is, how did we manage your pain while you were in the hospital? So if I went into the hospital with some sort of injury that an opiate would be deemed necessary, Mm -hmm. one of your exit questions is going to be, how did we manage your pain? Right. So if I'm saying that I am leaving the the hospital uncomfortable or in a high amount of pain, what you're saying is Medicare will not reimburse the full rate because I'm pissed that you didn't get me high enough? So I can't speak to it directly, but I do know that those surveys play a part in reimbursement. I don't know what percentage. I don't know how that's all figured in exactly, but I do know that it hurts the hospital. It hurts their revenues. Bad reviews hurt hospitals. So it's it's this whole cycle where they're still saying, now they're saying, oh my God, you horrible killers prescribing pain medicine. Mm. Um, so you can't do that anymore. But when you don't, you're going to be penalized for it. Mm. Because it's interesting, right? Like it's the American way. We complain. You get a survey in the mail. You had a good experience. You throw it in the garbage. You get the survey in the mail. You're pissed off about something. You write seven pages and mail it back. That's Absolutely. what Americans do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's wild. I don't think we're, I mean, we're obviously not there yet. I think medicine, and again, I speak for myself, but I speak for all of medicine because I have a lot of respect for what I do and um, the people, my peers. Um, Most people are very good intentioned. Mm. Um, I I don't think it started as malice at all. Even watching like the one doctor in the series watching him be educated he read the studies that were being presented to him he did his due diligence right and he still prescribes because they made it look like it was the right thing to do and not to mention that part of purdue slash sackler family is that they targeted these rural poor areas of the country so a lot of appalachia and a lot of the doctors or people that they targeted was Coal miners. Yeah. So people with legitimate pain, they were hard laborers for their whole life. Yeah. Like you're on your knees or bent over in a cave doing hard shit ass work for little or no money. And then they come up with this little pill. And again, like you were just saying, they were putting out all of these studies that said that it was safe and effective. So the doctors are duped. They think they're doing the right thing. And before you know it, they've literally addicted an entire country. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There was doctors that were doing the wrong thing. There was pharmacists that were doing the wrong thing. There was pill mills popping up. You know, there was greed. Without question. In many, many aspects. There was also a huge amount of diversion because it was a wildly popular street drug. Because it was 10 times stronger than any other narcotic that had previously been brought to market. And they talk about these, um, these rural towns and how the crime rates skyrocketed and it was all centered around oxycontin Mm -hmm. Uh, child abandonment thefts like just incredible they really the whole thing like we said was it, it was it was planned it was insane they targeted the right population they the plotting that went behind it is just it's mind blowing so anyway the take home of our long winded critique is it's a great read and a great watch. It is, and I again, I, I highly recommend reading the book because, again, we're only, what, three episodes yeah. into the series, and I don't necessarily know if they're going to touch on the pill mills and 
a lot of the other sort of minor details that really put all of the pieces together. Yeah, I mean they have, but it's a it's a more of a snapshot than the in, a book is always better at telling a story. Absolutely, and for whatever reason, Beth Macy, who was a Roanoke native, yes. grew up in that area, wrote for the Roanoke Times for you know decades. She's the one that wrote the book, and I think does an exceptional job staying somewhat objective. Obviously, she's she's got a point that she's trying to get across, but I think that she does a phenomenal job in explaining the birth of the Oxycontin in, like, Appalachia and then how it traveled northeast up into New England and then down to Florida and really just does an amazing job at putting all those pieces together and really explaining things so you get a much better understanding of how shitty the Sackler family is. And and <laughs> she tells she tells people stories too, which I like. Throughout the book is weaved in yes. um, actual families that yeah, are suffering. Like there's, you know, sidebars of moms that have started yes. organizations because they lost a son or a daughter or a husband yeah. or brother, sister to addiction. If I recall correctly, I think one of the people she's following during the book I, I think dies. What, before it's published or shortly after? Uh, yes. I, it, was a, it was a girl. Yes. I, I can't remember exactly what the circumstances yeah. were, but, you know, typical, not that her story is typical. I'm not trying to belittle it, but in a sense, it tells that typical sort of story of the cycle of addiction. Yes, absolutely. You know? And the parents, I mean, I think they had flown her all over, tried rehabs everywhere, had done... Everything right. under the sun. And, you know, that's an important take home message, too, for family members out there that are listening. You can do all you can do. It doesn't mean it wasn't enough if it doesn't work. It just means that addict or alcoholic, they weren't ready. Yeah, absolutely. It has nothing to do with the family efforts. No, no, it, it certainly doesn't. And to be super honest with you, oftentimes there's nothing you can do. Yes. Short of locking somebody in a room for 30 days, but... Even you know, then, day 31, see you later. Yeah, right. As soon as they hit the streets, like, they're off and running again. Yeah, exactly. Which just shows you how powerful and how insidious and how insane the whole disease is and the cycle of addiction and, you know, just that whole lifestyle that goes along with it, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, so I actually, to change gears a little bit, um, that got a little intense and a little heated there for a couple minutes. Yeah, I like it. Um, I got a lot of feedback. Show me week. your boobs. They're on the wall. Oh, all right. Hang on. Let me turn my shit. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> I got a lot of feedback uh, in the past week or so. Really? Yeah. So the one um, I talked to a, a girl or a woman, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. Probably around my age. And they? Yeah, no, but like, I don't know if I'd want to be a girl or a woman. Woman makes me sound old. Girl's too young. I'm not really sure. This is why we have pronouns. A miss? Anyway, um, who reached out to me and kind of was asking me parts of my story. Um, not ready to call themselves an alcoholic, um, but, you know, it's kind of teetering with the idea. Um, so it just, you know, that felt really good to be able to give some advice or not even advice. Just tell my story and be like, hey, this is how it was for me. And then got today mm. in quite possibly 
the most exciting moment of my life. Mac and I are driving. That's fucked up. I know. Mac and I were driving. He was going to work, or I was going to work, but I was dropping him off somewhere on my way. And we were getting a Dunkin'. So we're driving through, and I'm sitting in the car at the drive-thru, and the line's long, and I'm like, shit, I'm going to be late. And I hear, Megan? And I'm like, did I just hear my name? Did I tell the woman? Like, I thought it was the drive-thru lady calling me back. Did I, <laughs> like, I had already ordered. And I was like, did I give her my name? How does she know my name? Am I starting to hear voices? And I was like, I must have, like, literally heard that. All right, creepy. We're going to ignore it and move on. And then I hear it again. And I'm like, no, no, I definitely am hearing my name. So I glance out the window and this woman behind me who I've never seen or met before in my entire life says, are you Megan? And I was like, yes. And she's like, I listened to your podcast. I was like, really? Thank you. And then I bought her coffee. But it was funny because I called Mac was like super excited. and I felt like totally starstruck. And um, because Mac was like, man, mom, that's really cool, which, you know, he never thinks I'm cool. So that was a big win for me right there. (laughs) And I like called Chris. I was so excited to tell him. And Chris's response, he was also excited. But he said to me, he's like, you know, it's so unfortunate. I'm sure you were the most awkward you ever were in your entire life in that moment. Absolutely. And I was like, I was. I was so caught off guard. That was my first time being recognized as a celebrity. From here on out, I will do better. (laughs) But to the woman behind me in Dunkin' Donuts, you literally made my day. Thank you, woman in Dunkin' Donuts. Yes, and thank you for listening. That's so awesome. Absolutely. We love that kind of stuff. And by the way, yes. thank you to the listeners. And if you are not following us on Facebook or Instagram, they are both So I Married an Alcoholic. You are doing not only yourselves and your family a great disservice, but also a great disservice to many generations of Americans. So make sure you follow us, <laughs> like us, share us. Pass the word. That's right. Um, and then, Chris, I actually got a message mm. with a question posed for you. Oh. Right, I'm going to read it verbatim. This ought to be interesting. Meg, I love your podcast. Huge fan. Got a question, though, to present to Chris. I just got through the Guns N' Roses episode. Ooh, that was a hard one. It was. Love the honesty. And not that your husband isn't a handsome dude, but please ask him how he had so much confidence that if he went, it was 100% that he would land some ass that night. Uh, I don't know if it's confidence as much as it is I counted on some like sloppy drunk woman in my great smile. <laughs> It had nothing to do with confidence. As a matter of fact, if you know me in real life, and I think Megan may or may not agree with this statement, but I'm actually relatively insecure. Extremely, but he comes off as like he has the hugest ego ever. Oh, absolutely. But he's super insecure. Part of the sales pitch. Yeah. But anyway, that was my favorite message I have ever received from this podcast. So a woman that says that I have too much confidence. It's um, all a lie. Yeah. I mean, that and, you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> he doesn't mean that. But we think th- you're awesome. But thanks for listening. <laughs> we think you're awesome. His feelings are just hurt. <laughs> That's right. You've crushed my ego. It is true, though. I mean, I guess not, though. You know what I honestly probably the answer to that question is? You were that drunk person for a long time. So you knew there's always one. 
I would have banged anything back in the day. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like any of us that, you know, live that life while drinking or using, you can pick them. Oh, yeah. Because you were them. Takes one to know one. Exactly. That's sick, huh? I could smell them a mile away. (laughs) It's disgusting. Yeah, it is. But now I have an amazing wife, an amazing life, two healthy tax credits, (laughs) a bird dog a poo, and a vast collection of weaponry. Oh so I am, God. needless to say, I'm I'm ready for Frankie to start dating. Are you though? Because I was, it was homecoming weekend, I guess, for like a lot of friends or, you know, people I know that have like high school age kids. And all I was doing all weekend is showing Chris photos. Torturing me. Torturing him. Like Do you that's... see how short they wear these dresses these days? Yeah, like I know it's Facebook and it's not like porn, but I'm pretty sure I saw vaginas in those pictures. I know. Chris disgusting. was literally sweating because he's 13 years away from Frankie in a mini dress. Yep. Which means she'll be 14, which is even more disgusting. Yeah. Get ready, bud. It's horrific. Karma's a bitch. While we're on the subject of thanking folks, I got pulled over the other day. Oh, yes. I forgot about this. We both on our cars have the So I Married an Alcoholic podcast, like vinyl stickers on our back windshields. Yes. And then also on my amazing shaggin' wagon, (laughs) my license plate says Realtor and a Baby. That's the two faces of Chris. So I Married an Alcoholic and Realtor and a Baby. (laughs) And he's so vain, he wants everyone to know about it. Hey, as the proprietor of Marlene Graphics says, I am a marketing genius. True story. By the way, thank you, Marlene Graphics, our show sponsor, our studio sponsor, MarleneGraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And while we're on the subject, RealtorAndABaby.com for all your real estate needs. All right, well, why don't you tell us how the cockmaster got pulled over? So, cockmaster was driving, doing the appropriate speed limit. Doubt it, bro. Hands were at 10 and 2. Mm-hmm. Seatbelt was on. Pistols in the small of my back. Newport's in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I hear the whoop, whoop. I see the blue lights, and immediately I go into Fuck check my pockets again i've been sober i just celebrated four years sober but i'm still running through the checklist in my mind right like is there an empty cigarette pack laying around here somewhere did i leave a perk in the back seat from 10 years ago (laughs) like what the fuck anyways so the guy comes over he's like license registration please i was like sure of course he says do you know why i pulled you over too sexy (laughs) he's like that's actually not against the law and i'm not gay but thanks for asking (laughs) he said your license plate the registration was expired like that that's not even possible but again i'm I'm not here to argue with the guy right yeah super respectful and then he's like i was actually kind of hoping that something was wrong with your car because i have a lot of questions for you (laughs) i was like okay shoot that's actually something you shouldn't say while you're getting pulled over (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know me, super inappropriate, 24-7. So he's like, what's up with the sticker on the windshield or on the back window? I was like, oh, you know, my wife and I are both recovering alcoholics. Uh, we do a podcast. It's called So I Married an Alcoholic. I highly recommend you listen to it. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, I'm really happy for you guys. Proud of you. Sobriety's hard. And then he's like, what's up with the license plate? And I was like, oh, it's realtor and a baby. I said, I'm a realtor. And I have a baby. 
<laughs> and he's like, oh, that's awesome, man. Pretty self-explanatory, huh? I was like, yeah. You looking for a house? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes back to his car and he runs my license and, you know, whatever it is that they do. He came back and he was like, yeah, so your registration's actually expired. Just make sure you get it taken care of. And I gave him my card, of course. Absolutely. Every conversation you have is an opportunity for business. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe he knew somebody that was struggling and we could be a resource yeah, for them. Either way. So anyways, I want to make sure I publicly thank Officer Riley from the Limerick Police Department, Officer Riley, for all of your registration needs. <laughs> and thank you for all you do. Thanks for your service. That's my story of infamy for this week. <laughs> All right, we are going to wrap it up. We are actually heading up to Auntie Gay P's. Auntie Gay P bought a house. Again, he used the Realtor and a Baby referral system. We hooked him up. He now has uh, some sort of uh, palatial gay estate in Western <laughs> Massachusetts. I'm sure there's going to be a doorman and assless chaps. <laughs> One that, can hope. I mean, I cannot... Uh, procure said person and assless chaps, but I can certainly find you the house of your dreams. Absolutely. So we're going up to spend a long weekend this weekend. We are very excited. We're going to bring the crank with us, obviously. We are. And hopefully we're going to board the bird. We are indeed. Because we cannot be responsible for a destroyed carpet in a house that he's owned for less than three weeks. No. No, he will not take it as well as Dick and Jude did. He will not. So we are going to be recording from the Casa de Anti Gay P. And maybe he'll make a guest appearance. He will make a guest appearance. And I assure you, you will definitely want to listen to episode 22. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Anti Gay P, when he was in jail, his celly, that's what you call your cellmate, Megan, <laughs> wrote him a love letter. Oh my God, that's right. It was like four pages long. So anyways, when I first met Auntie Gay P, we lived in a recovery house together in mm -hmm. Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So anytime we got a new guy into the house, again, you're just getting out of rehab. You're scared shitless. You're probably more often than not still feel a little shitty from the withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And I would gather everyone in the living room and I would read letters from your celly. <laughs> so wrong. And it talks about like choking Auntie Gay P and penises and mouths and it was like absolutely out of control. So if they weren't scared when they were walked it walked in, they were now terrified. Yes. Physically, mentally. Some of them even left. <laughs> nah. -uh. Uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's it. So we'll hear about uh letters from your celly. We'll hear about honey buns. We'll hear about the new house. Yes. We'll hear about JP, Auntie Gay P's personal journey the past four years. He actually has an amazing story of sobriety. So He really does. He's a, he's a great person to look up to. Truly uh, one of those success stories that you hear about, right? Absolutely. Like complete train wreck, found Jesus. You know. Lived happily ever after. There you go. We'll have him take us on that wild ride of a journey. We'll go down uh, bleeding asshole lane. Oh, God, Chris. Too rough? Yeah, obviously, if it's bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. That was clever. Okay. I like it. <laughs> okay. All right, anyways, make sure you tune in. 
Well, you should probably tune in every week because there's a little something-something in there for everybody. There sure is. But your homework assignment for this week is to read the book Dope Sick by Beth Macy. Yes. You're also going to watch Dope Sick on Hulu. Yes. And if you need some cash on your uh, prepaid debit card to get a Hulu prescription... Send us an email to so I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. Because we are addicts, so we um, collect streaming services. Oh, no, I'm definitely making uh, Jim and Velia pay for that. <laughs> They're sponsoring the Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. Jim and Velia's Bed and Breakfast now sponsors Hulu pers- uh, subscriptions. Doubt it, bro. <laughs> then they'll definitely have to sell the beach house. Yeah. Actually, if you can't afford uh, if you can't afford Hulu, go fuck yourself. Read the Dope Sick book by yeah. Beth Macy. It's probably like fourteen ninety nine on Amazon. There you go. You get that kind of change in your car. All right, darling. Anything else? No, that's all I got tonight. All right. Well, say good night, darling. Good night, darling. I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. Cut off your pets' privates, and please remember: if you're struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out. Ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.